Uh, welcome to Huntington Community Church. So glad you're here. Hope you had a great week living on mission. Uh, this week we went to, um, took a little cu- couple days, we went to the Ark in um, Kentucky, which was incredible. How many of you have seen the Ark, like the fake one in Kentucky? Uh, okay, so, okay, not as mean as I thought. I thought it's worth the trip to see the Ark, just just to see it, it's massive, um, you know, and then inside there's all these exhibits, but really for me, my favorite part was just being just outside, just staring at it, like I just, I just was just so mesmerized, just how huge this thing is, and uh, it took Noah, you know, maybe like 75 years to build, and, you know, there was no, uh, you know, no Home Depot, no Lowe's, no power tools, I'm just you know, for me, I love to work with my hands. I love to do some of that stuff. So I'm thinking about it as I'm walking through the inside, looking at all the, all the, all the different uh, details of it. I'm just overwhelmed thinking, how in the world? Like, could, there's, I can't do that with Lowe's and Home Depot and Power Tools. And, and here, Noah, through God's um, provision, is building this massive ark. It's huge. It's incredible. I encourage you guys to go. So that on the way back, though, we got home late. We got home right around the younger kids' bedtime, and I got, I got totally busted, okay? The kids caught me. Uh, so usually the, the flow of our house is I'll do bedtime, and so I'll read books to the smaller kids in our house. Well, our smaller kids, um, you know, from just being completely transparent um, and, and owning uh, my flaws as a parent, there are times where I am tired, and I've read the same uh, Bernstein Bear book over and over and over. And uh, so I'll, I will sometimes, will grab two pages, all right, yeah, and I'll turn, okay? And uh, my kids are at the point now to where they, 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 they'll bust me. And so uh, Alethea, she caught me. Um, so it was, you know, we've been dra- traveling all day. I've been walking through these museums, and, and, and you know, I'm, I'm trying to justify my my bad parenting. And so, uh, and, and so I turn, and, 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 and she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> she's like, this, I, there's something happened that, I don't, that you didn't say. So like, oh, yeah, they stuck together, I'm sure, is what happened. Uh, and so, but I love reading books to our kids. It's so much fun, just, uh, they, and they love, they love books. Uh, uh, and, and I just think um, that's such a sweet time with them, reading, reading to them, and um, watching them just get in, you know, just engaging with books. And uh, one of the, you know, familiar nursery rhymes or, or, or stories, fairy tales that you guys have probably heard of is the ugly duckling. Uh, you know that story, right? Where there's this, this um, swan laid an egg and it ends up with the, the duck's eggs. And when they all hatched, they all looked the same except for that one egg. And it was this ugly duckling. It didn't look like the other ones who were cute and so people made fun of that swan, this duckling, um, and then uh, it grew up, you know, it, it ran away, and people were making fun of it wherever it went, and then after time, it realized it was a swan. It transformed, had this beautiful transformation. Well, that's, this morning, if you brought your Bible, turn with me to Joshua chapter 2 as we look at the ugly duckling. And uh, hopefully when you, when you came in, every chair at least should have had a, a little book and a bookmark. Just hold on to those. We'll talk about those in a little bit. Uh, 
Um, Joshua 2, we continue in this series about the life of Moses. And, you know, as we have shared, Moses passed away already, but his legacy continues. And so if it wasn't for Moses, they wouldn't be where they are right now. And so his life is still continuing in a sense. And so um, just a reminder to us that um, to think about your legacy. You know, once you're gone, uh, how long will people still remember your life? And so here's the story of Joshua and Chapter 2 is the story of Rahab. And so let's uh, read chapter 2 together and then we'll walk through um, some stages of this story of the ugly duckling. So verse 1 says, uh, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. It was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them uh, quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them. Uh, on the way to, to the Jordan, as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to, the, to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, When you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is good in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for your lives, or our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. 
The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if, if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your word, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all of the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Let's pray. Father, we've read your word and we trust that your word is powerful. It is at work. And so Lord, we pray that now we would hear from you again, that you would continue to speak to our hearts. Give us ears to hear from you. Lord, without your spirit at work this morning, my words mean absolutely nothing. I can't change anyone's hearts in this room. Only the work of the spirit can. And so, Lord, may we lean in this morning and hear a word from you. Use me as a broken man. Help me preach the true gospel, Lord. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So here's the story of the ugly duckling. The story many of you have probably heard of Rahab. Um, incredible story of redemption, of hope. If you're broken this morning, if you feel dirty, my goodness, this is a story that should just encourage you. Uh, so this morning, the way I want to walk through this is in light of this, the, the story of the ugly duckling, thinking of, uh, of just the different stages or acts of that book. And so I just want to start with the first stage of this idea of this ugliness of sin. So when we come to this passage, we're introduced to Rahab. And you notice how Rahab is introduced to us. It's introduced by her occupation, uh, that she's this, um, maybe depending on your Bible, you might have harlot or prostitute. One who sells her body. And um, so we see her, and um, many times in this passage and throughout Scripture, she's known as Rahab the prostitute. And um, we see that she's a Canaanite, so she's not a Jew. She's living in Jericho. Um, we know that even in um, Jericho, she's not well respected. We know that, one, because of her her occupation. Two, we know that um, maybe even in the ranks of prostitution, she's probably 
on the lower ranks because of where she's living. She's not, you know, in the inner courts near the king or um, one that might, you know, have a higher clientele. She's living in the walls of Jericho. Now think for a moment about the city walls in this day and age. The city walls were your source of protection. Um, As we know, um, um, spoiler alert, the walls of Jericho come down. Okay, and so the city walls were what you what were used, uh, you know, first line of defense. And so the first place that's going to get attacked would be the walls. So she's expendable. She's living in the walls of Jericho, a very lowly lady. Uh, And this is exactly who the Lord wants to use, right? The Lord over and over uses the lowly. Um, to be a part of his grand story of redemption. And so here's the story of this lady. She's a Canaanite. She's not from a Jewish bloodline. Uh, and not, she's not even like a king. She's, she's a prostitute and probably a, a, a lower-end prostitute living in the city walls. And we're encountered with this ugliness of sin. Um, but I don't want us to miss... Uh, that sin is all-encompassing here. We also see there's a king. There's a king in the story. Now, he's a higher, you know, status. He's not a prostitute. He's a king. So people look up to him, but he's, he's no better than she is in the eyes of God. He, the king has this ugliness of his own sin. Um, you know, Rahab has different types of sin, um, but with... Um, with the king, there's this picture of, um, you know, um, leading this community of, of Jericho with injustice. There's injustice going on in his kingdom. There's prostitutes. And it must be fine for him. He knows of her because he sends people to her house. So there's injustice going on under his reign. He's not a good, godly king. Um, there's probably things like greed that he struggles with, envy, um, misuse of power. And so the king is also this story of the ugly duckling. That he, The king also has ugliness of sin. It's a story that we're all plagued with. We're all um, in the same boat as far as being ugly with our sin. Ephesians 2 gives us a good picture of this. Ephesians 2 says this, and you, okay, this is talking, this is a letter written to the church. So a letter written to Christians, and it says this, and you, church, were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Let's think about this. Now, what, what happens with dead things? Um, we have a, last week I complained that we had this plumbing problem. I think I fixed the plumbing problem, um, but... Last night, Olivia's like, hey, do you, do you hear something? I'm like, yeah, what is that? She's like, I don't know. It sounds like scratching in the ceiling. So we have like maybe a mouse problem in our house. And so I'm thinking through like, how do, I know how to get a mouse that comes around the kitchen. You can put a mouse trap. How do I get something in the ceiling? And so I'm thinking about putting down bait, which I don't want to use bait because those of you who have used bait, you know what happens. They eat it, and then they die somewhere in the ceiling or walls. And then what happens to dead things? 
It smells awful. And so here's this passage. Paul says, you were dead. Dead things begin to smell. They rot. They decay. That's the language Paul says about us. He says, you were once dead. You stunk. Why? Because of the trespasses and sins. It wants you once walk, past tense, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, see that word all, important, all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. That's why we're praying for Germany. That's why we pray for different nations. That's why missions is important. Because this is about everybody. This is not just a verse for Americans to understand their sin. This is about missions. That all of mankind is, is sinful. They need to hear the story of redemption. So that's why we pray for nations. That's why it's important that we go on mission trips. I'm excited. Some of you are going to Ethiopia next, next month. Excited for that. Um, that's why we go. Because of verses like this. Mankind is wicked. Mankind does not start out life born neutral. And then become wicked. We are born depraved. We are born with sin. Ask any parent of a small child. You don't have to teach that child to do wrong. Um, They just know how to take that toy. How to hit their sibling. It's just in us. That's why missions is important. There's this ugliness to our sin. We rebel. This story of Rahab, it's a, really from Jericho's perspective, it's a story of treason. She's committing treason. And each and every single one of us is committing the same crime. She's rebelling against the king of Jericho. All of mankind is rebelling against the king of all kings. We like our own lordship. We want to be in control of our own kingdom. And so we're all guilty of treason. Jeremiah 17 uh, paints another terrible picture of who we are as mankind. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? All the songs we listen to about listen to our heart, trust our heart. It's terrible theology. Great songs, terrible theology. You can't trust your heart. It will deceive you. So here's a story of the ugliness of sin. From Rahab the prostitute to the unknown king. um, To the men that go to Rahab's door. To the two spies that come in. um, There's just ugliness 
Look in your own life for a moment. And if you don't see sin in your life, just ask uh, your spouse, your friends at work. They'll tell you the things that they can see, that you can work on. And so stage one of this ugly duckling story is the ugliness of sin. Stage two is a transformation by confession. This blows my mind that you can have a transformation from something as simple. I say simple because to confess, it really is simple. It might be hard to, to get to that confession, but the actual confess, confessing is a very simplistic thing to do. That you can go from death to life, from lost to found, just from a, something as simple as of a confession. So we, we see Rahab, uh, her, her testimony, her confession of who God is, um, and, uh, in, in chapter 2 and verses 8 through 11. So as we look through 8 through 11, um, it says, um, uh, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord, and you see there, and for those of you who have been walking with us through this series, we've mentioned this a few times, that when you see the word LORD in all caps, because sometimes you'll see maybe all lower caps, sometimes you'll see capital L and then lowercase O-R-D, but when you see all caps, that's a special name for God. Um, it, this would be the God of the Jews. This is Yahweh, or what traditionally has been called Jehovah. Uh, so Yahweh, she's saying, so maybe in our context, let me say it this way. Sometimes we use the word God, um, and, and, and that might be like, um, maybe when people talk about how the God of Muslims, the God of Christians, we all worship the same God. We use that word, you know, three letters, G-O-D, and, and, you, and you might use them interchangeably. Um, what Rahab, she's not using the word God here. She's not saying like, I know that your God is the same as our God. She's not saying that. She's saying, it'd be like saying Jesus. You know, you're not mistaking, you're not going up to a Muslim and saying, you know, we worship the same Jesus because they would say, there's no way, we don't worship the same Jesus that you worship. Uh, and so she's saying, Yahweh, the Jewish, the one true living God of the Jews, he's different than the Canaanites' gods. She's saying, I know that your God, that the Lord, Yahweh, has given you the land. So she knows his name. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us, us from Jericho, the Canaanites, and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. If you're familiar with the story of Gideon, this sounds very similar when Gideon encamps above and that night he's, he, he goes down to, to listen and they're down there talking. There's one who had a dream and in the dream it was that God was going to give them the land and they were... They were afraid. And so very similar language from here in Judges with the story of Gideon. 
that fear has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. Now, how does she know the Lord? Think about this. Because of the miracle of the Red Sea, because of the plagues, that's how God used that to reach the nations. She's, she is confessing, like she knows this is the one true God because of the miracles that he's done. She knows that the, the God of the Jews is a God of miracles. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. That's a confession right there. She's confessing that there is one God. And your God is that God. The one that we worship is not that God, but yours is. She knows that he's God. He is the one. He is miraculous and he's given the land. He is the one who controls everything. He is the God of power. So it's, it's a confession. She's confessing. Your God is the one true God. And God will honor that confession. We'll see that in a minute. But our life is transformed not by coming to church every week. Your, your life is not transformed by being moral, by giving to nonprofits, by putting money in the offering box in the back. That is not how your life is transformed. Your life is transformed by a confession. Romans 10 it's a great passage to see this. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is powerful. That, that you're confessing, and then here in Romans we see some more specifics, and you've got to think from Romans' perspective, from Rahab's perspective, there's two covenants here. Rahab's under the old covenant. Romans is talking about a new covenant, new covenant of Christ, and so we know a little more. Um, there's this history of salvation happening. And so with Rahab, she didn't know about Jesus. She just knew about God and through the Jews, that God was working through this nation. And that through this nation, that God was going to bring this baby boy. And so now we're on the other side of the baby boy. We know that this child is Jesus. And so Jesus is our Savior. So now we're looking back. We know that that we're saved through Jesus and that we're confessing some things about him, that he is Lord. So what does it mean to be Lord? Lord means to be in control, that he's in charge. It's kingdom language. 
that Jesus is the king. And so when you're saying that Jesus is Lord, it means that you're not. That you're saying that you're a subject in his kingdom. That you're surrendering, you're bowing down to him. So whatever the king says, you're willingly going to do. Sometimes you might even maybe willingly going to do it, but you're going to do it anyways because he is king, he is Lord. And that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So that's the full gospel, that, that God raised him from the dead. That he didn't just die for our sins, but God also raised him from the dead. The resurrection is key. So God raised him from the dead. And now he's in power, he's in charge. He's on his throne, in his kingdom, ruling and reigning till the day he comes back. That first song that we sang this morning was a song of confession. I believe in God our Father. I believe in His Holy Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. You're singing a song of confession. You're confessing those things. That's what you believe. And, and we believe that we have a God who's returning. And I cannot wait for His return. What an incredible day that will be. But until that day, we, we've got a purpose, a mission, that we've got to go and tell others about this King who's coming back. Because when he comes back, it'll be too late then. And so we have to go and tell others about him, about the good news of Jesus, that he died for their sins. And so this transformation happens with the confession. Rahab's life changes. She goes from a harlot to a queen because of her confession. And your, your life changes with the confession. Uh, it comes from the heart. It's not just about knowledge. And this is where it gets tricky. Parents, just it's hard. I'm, I'm with you. I go through the struggles as a parent of, you know, we read a lot to our kids and, and, and we want to teach them how to follow Christ. But it's more than just information, okay? We're not just confessing information because we know from James, the book of James, James says even the demons believe and shudder. They're afraid of God. But the demons believe, so it's more than just like information belief. It's, it's a bowing down in your heart. It's a surrendering ownership of your life. That's what happened. That's how transformation happened. That's what Rahab's doing. That's what Romans 10 is talking about. And so parents, it's hard because sometimes kids, you know, at age, my goodness, at three and four, um, five, our kids can mouth, they can say, you know, Jesus is Lord. Uh, they, they, they can say, you know, that I'm a sinner. Uh, so they can say those things, but is there like a conviction of their sin? Do they fight against sin? Do they, do they have guilt of, of the sin that they do even though they haven't got caught or they just, or they just apologize when they're caught? And so, Parents, man, it's, it's difficult. We're right there with you. Just keep pushing forward. Just know that uh, uh, the grace of God is, is, is with you in that. Just keep pointing them to Christ. But, but just know that it's, it's not just about information. That the words you say have to have some kind of conviction in your heart. Some, some, some depth, um, guilt of sin wrapped up in this confession. 
But when you confess that, man, that, that's, that's pretty simple, right, to confess that? That's why I love it. I love that God makes it so easy for us to come to Him. He doesn't give us this long list of do's and don'ts to say, hey, if you want to be with me in heaven, it's going to be you've got to come to church. You've got to give this much money to the church. You've got to give this much time during the week to, to serving, volunteering. Um, you've got to pray this many times. You've got to do all these different things. He says, just trust me. Come to me broken and let me fix your life. Here's Rahab, a prostitute. Notice that God doesn't say, hey, quit what you're doing and then come to me. Quit, you know, get your life right first, then come to me. He just says, just come. Come, those, those of you who are broken, come to me. So we've seen this ugliness of sin. This is all-encompassing from a prostitute to the king, everywhere in between. We see a transformation happen by confession. And the last thing we see is this life of a swan. I love this. So in the story of the ugly duckling, at some point the ugly duckling realizes that she's not an ugly duckling, that she's this beautiful swan. And that when she sees the other swan, she goes, oh, I, I fit in. I, I look like them. We're beautiful. We belong together. There's this transformation that happens and this life of living as a swan. And that's the story of Rahab. My goodness, this is such a beautiful story. And we all have a story of Rahab. Those of you who are in Christ, you may, you may look at her and go, man, my life was not like that. I wasn't that bad. Yes, you were. We, we all, we all are. We've all played the part of Rahab. Um, all throughout the Old Testament, um, God uses the metaphors of marriage, that, that the Jews were the bride. Uh, there's no better book to show us that than Hosea. Hosea has this language, and it's very graphic language. Uh, read Hosea this week. Um, it's this beautiful picture of God and... and um, in his people. In, um, in the story of Hosea, Hosea is told to um, marry or be with this prostitute. Um, and uh, she continues to, to, to cheat on Hosea. And God says, keep going back to her. Take her back. And he keeps taking her back. And it's this beautiful picture of what God does with us. That other things catch our attention. You know, the, the New Testament uses the same language that we're the bride of Christ. And how often other things catch our attention. And we go cheat. Or as Hosea's language, whore after other things. And God says, I'm going to keep coming after you. You're my bride. Second Corinthians gives us a picture of this story of redemption and, and this Beautiful transformation that happens. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Paul writes this. In this church, man, they, it, was, it was a very corrupt uh, city, and, and it, the congregation was a reflection of that. And Paul says this to them. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
So you have this union with Christ when you're in Christ. He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So here's this picture of transformation, that the old is gone. The old Rahab is no longer Rahab. The new Rahab has come. This is a story of you. You you are no longer that person. And some of you, you may be like Rahab in the sense that you still want to identify yourself to your past. You know, you might you might have a past of um, sexual sins, and so you still think of yourself like that. Or others still may label you like that. We we live in a place of labels. I just want to encourage you, from this passage, you are a new creation. Your new label, you know what it says? It says saint. You may not feel like a saint, but that's what the Bible calls you. Those of you who are in Christ, you are called a saint. A saint is not some special category of Christians uh, that you would work your way to become. A saint is anyone who is in Christ. You are a new creation. The old has passed, the new has become. Um, very much like a caterpillar to butterfly. A metamorphosis. Something new has happened. You've, you were this caterpillar that crawled around in the filth. Then this transformation happens. You spread your wings and you fly. You don't go back to that. You're new. Transformations happened. Paul continues to write. Um, it says, therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's beautiful for us that you were ugly, filthy. Christ took your place. He became that. It's like, you know, I I think of another uh, fairy tale, the prince and the pauper. You know that one? We have these... Two that look alike, and so the version we have in our house is Mickey Mouse. So there's this king who's Mickey Mouse, and then there's this peasant who's Mickey Mouse, who looks like Mickey Mouse. And, um, and so one day the king just wants to go out and have fun, or I guess he's the prince, he wants to go out and have fun. Um, and while he's out, he, he sees this resemblance of himself, and he wants to trade him. So he gives him his ring. Well, while he trades him... Um, his father dies, and so he realizes that he's the king, and there's this bad guy that arrests the peasant. He realizes that they, that they have done this, this switcheroo, and so he puts the peasant in jail, pretending to be the new king, and now the, the real king is out without the ring, showing that he's the king. Christ 
does this switch with us? He plays the role of a peasant. He becomes, you know, he who knew no sin, but he became sin. So he lived a perfect life, but he died the sinner's death on the cross. So that we, who were the peasants, might live this life of royalty. We become kings in this sense. Um, we get Christ's righteousness. Blows my mind that Christ doesn't just wipe away our debts, but he imparts upon us his righteousness. That we are now, we are royalty. We are sons and daughters of the Most High King. Do you feel that way? Wouldn't it change your morning if you just woke up and just thought, I am the son or daughter of a king? It could probably change how we live. Rahab's life is changed. Her life from here on is such a different life. In fact, many of you know Rahab from the book of Hebrews. So Hebrews, New Testament book. Long after the story of Rahab, Hebrews 11, um, people have called this historically the, the hall of faith, okay? So it just lists these people who by faith believe God, that God was trying to show um, that, that's, that righteousness didn't come by works, it was, it was by faith. And so Hebrews 11 named 16 Old Testament figures. People like Abraham, <coughs> Moses, David. 16. Rahab is mentioned in those 16. No Joshua. You know, here we're reading about Joshua the successor after Moses, Joshua's not mentioned. Oh, the story of Jericho's mentioned, but Joshua by name is not mentioned, but Rahab is. Rahab is one of 16 people mentioned by name in that book. Isn't that incredible? So in Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, what bothers me, and I'm going to trust that God knows better, uh, and, you know, he knows all things, but I, I just, it bothers me that she still, Rahab the prostitute. You know, at some point, doesn't Rahab go, come on, can't I just be Rahab? Like, people know who I used to be. You don't have to put Rahab the prostitute. Nobody names Rahab anymore. I guess maybe it's a little redeem, more redeemed name than like Jezebel, okay? But like Rahab, maybe she could just say, can you just put by faith Rahab did not perish? It would, people would know, come on. But we see here that she's honored for her faith. That she believed, she hid the spies and she believed that their God was the one true God. And she was honored for that. 
This is what's incredible is God makes much of her story. Watch what he does with her. So she's a prostitute. God makes her into this queen. She comes, she comes up again. She resurfaces in Matthew's gospel. So Matthew starts out with this genealogy. Sometimes we skip over genealogies. They're beautiful. Read them and just watch how God uses all those names. Those are all stories. Broken people like you and me. So the genealogies are so, so fun to read. And so Matthew chapter 1, we see the, this genealogy. So from here, we just see this, says this in verse 5, it says, And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. So let me just tie this all together. Let's go to this next slide. So back in number 7, and we didn't, I didn't preach number seven. But in number seven, um, each tribe had like this prince who would be the representative of their tribe. So for the tribe of Judah, there's a guy named Abinadab. Abinadab had a son named Nishan. Okay? Now Nishan had a son named Salmon. Uh, and Salmon married... Rahab. So Rahab, she marries into this prince. You know, this is a very prominent family. Um, they, this would be a line of princes. And so from the tribe of Judah. And so that's what Matthew's gospel is doing. Matthew's town into Jesus. So the Old Testament is pointing us to it. Let me just say this, because sometimes people, so, some, sometimes People look at the Old Testament and, and, and put it in a, in a bad light. And, and sometimes ladies, when you read it, and, and my daughter will do this. My daughter, uh, she's, she's 10, and she will look um, at history, and she'll say, we're the men. And, uh, or we're the, we're the women throughout history. Um, and, and, and so she, she gets upset. And so sometimes we do that with the Old Testament. And so sometimes girls will come to me and say, why aren't there more stories of girls in the Old Testament? And that's a great question. And just we need to understand the whole, like, what is the purpose of the Bible? The Bible, the, the overarching purpose of the Bible is not to show us the value of men and women. It's painting a picture of, of redemption. And so it, back in Genesis 3, there's this, there's, there's this promise given to Adam and Eve that they're, that they're going to have a baby boy, and this baby boy was going to redeem mankind. And so the rest of the Old Testament is following the story of this baby boy. And all along the way, we learn different things about this baby boy. And along the way, we learn that he's going to come from the tribe of Judah. So that's why from that moment when we learn about the tribes... It seems like everything's about the tribe of Judah. Well, it's not because the other tribes we don't care about anymore. It's because this is a story about redemption and about finding who this Savior is, okay? So I think that's an important framework for us to think through. So Matthew is showing us Jesus is coming. He's the baby boy. 
And he's from this tribe of Judah. And so he's tracing back to, to this tribe. And so we see Rahab is brought in. She marries this guy named Salmon, who's, who's going to be this prince. And they have a baby named Boaz. Now, when you're reading the story of Boaz, which is found in the book of Ruth, how many of you, and I'm guilty of this, how many of you think of Rahab? I, I don't think of that, do you? Like, when you think of Boaz, do you think, oh, his mom is, is Rahab? I, I, I just, by nature, don't make that connection. Because we, again, we, you know, we live on one book, and we forget about that book, and we move on. And so Ruth and our Bible's over here, and uh, Joshua's over here, and we forget how they intersect. And, and so Boaz, his mom is Rahab. How cool was that? So now think of the story of Ruth. Doesn't it make more sense, though? Like why Boaz would look at Ruth, who Ruth was married. She was not a Jew. She was a Moabite. And, and so she's, um, she's been married. Her husband died. And so now Naomi, her mother-in-law, is bringing her back to Israel. Not bringing her back to Israel. Naomi's coming back to Israel, bringing Ro, uh, um, Ruth back um, or to Israel. And, and she meets Boaz. And so Boaz... You know, Ruth might say, well, you don't want to be with me. You know, I, I, I've been with another man. Um, I'm, I'm not a Jew. And Boaz might go, man, my mom has a story, you know, maybe a little similar to yours. Um, my, my mom, she has a crazy story of how God's worked in her life. Isn't that incredible? And then think about this, that, that Boaz... Uh, Boaz and Ruth have a son named Obed, and they have a son named Jesse, and Jesse has a son named David, king of Israel. And so Rahab is the great, great grandma to David. That's pretty cool. And she's the great, 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 great grandma to Jesus. God gave her a new story. She's living the life of a swan. She's a new creation. So where do we see the gospel in this? It's beautiful. I don't know if you've caught this, but did you notice about the scarlet rope that was in the window? Does that remind you of anything at all? Remember the story of the Exodus? Remember when they were getting to leave Egypt? God said, put blood over the window of the lamb. And whatever, whatever doorpost would have the blood, the angel of, of the Lord would pass over and not strike the firstborn dead. You, you remember, whoever is in this house is what? Saved. But anyone outside the house, the spy said their blood will be on them. But bring all your family, your fathers, your, your brothers, whoever, whoever's in the house, saved. Little spoiler alert, when the walls come down, guess what part of the wall do, doesn't come down? Right here. Rahab's. Think. 
I'd love to see that. Just all it all just crumble in just this one part. And they'll come out safe. Because they were inside. This is a picture of Christ. Those of you who are in Christ, you're saved. Those of you who are not in Christ, your blood's on yourself. So this is a beautiful picture here of Christ as redemption. But there's work, work to do. There's work still to be done in a city. And so you were um, given a little book and um, a bookmark. Let me just close this morning with this. I truly believe there's Rahabs all around us. There's people who, they think low of themselves. They, they think, man, like there's no way God could use me. There's people who are broken, who are hurting. Um, and they just need to hear about Jesus and his healing hand and how he can change their life. And I believe that Jesus is still reaching people like Rahab today. I also believe there's people like the king who are people of influence, who are wealthy and, and just may feel like there's no need for a God in their life. And I think there's people all in between. Um, and I think, I think God has put them in your life and you in their life for a reason. And so I'm not asking you to save everyone in Huntington. I'm not asking you to witness to everyone in Huntington. I'm just asking you for the next 30 days, who's your one? God's put one person in your life. He's put way more. But he's put at least one person that I would just encourage you over the next 30 days that you'll begin praying for. And so if you'll just look at this book and just open it up to day one. On the left side... It's got a little prayer, a little verse. Every day it's kind of set up the same way. It's got a little uh, verse, and it's got um, a little prayer. And you'll write his or her name in that little blank, and you'll just pray that prayer. And then on the right side, you can just journal some prayers, just some thoughts. So for the next 30 days, you'll pray for that same person every day, a very specific way. Um, the reason we're starting this today it's because some of you, if we were to wait a few weeks, originally I wanted to do this 30 days prior to Easter and let that build up to Easter, but some of you are going to start praying for your person, you're going to realize, man, I don't know how to talk to them. I can pray for them, but I don't really know how to, I've never shared the gospel, I've never told anybody about Jesus. Tonight we want to train you how. It's not as hard as you think, uh, it just takes some willingness, it takes you surrendering, Trusting that God loves that person more than you do. So tonight we want to train you how to share your faith. We want to give you a tool that's very easy to use. Um, and so come back tonight at 6 o'clock and we want to train you how. So we're next 30 days, um, we want you praying. And at some point we want you talking to them about Jesus. And that bookmark, you can just keep in your Bible. It's got the verses there in case you lose this book or something. You've got the verses there. You can still read those. Um, you can write their name on that bookmark, tear that off, keep it with you just as a reminder. Give it to somebody else that you know is a person who prays a lot and just give it to them. Have them pray for that person. Um, but 
There's Rahabs and kings and everybody in between all around us. And I pray that we would open up our eyes, that our hearts would be burdened for others, and that we would tell them the good news of Jesus. How, how Christ wants to come into their life and write a, a, a story of redemption. Uh, give them a, this story of transformation, that they're no longer the ugly duckling, that they are a, this beautiful swan that God has a plan for. So as the band um, makes their way back up, we're going to keep singing this morning. I'm just going to be in the back over here. If anybody wants to pray for anything, I'll be over there just to pray with you. Um, and so uh, um, let me just lead us in, in a time of prayer. Father, this morning we thank you for being a God who's at work. We thank you for, for saving us from the wickedness of our sin. Lord, pray that you continue to, to use us to tell others about the good news of Jesus. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.